0: I said, no, just kidding, but you are talking kind of loud. Um, If you're tired tonight, you have no excuse to be tired because these folks, they came all the way from Kansas City, got here. What time did they get here? Three o'clock, four o'clock? Um, and stepped in and they're doing not only a worship set, but they wanted to even add more songs onto the end of the night. The reason they were in Kansas City was because they've been there since Friday afternoon and they've been leading worship uh, for a church that was having a retreat down there. So they've been going, 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 and they're ready. They're here to worship. Are you guys ready to worship? You guys ready to go? Okay, that was pretty weak. Astrid, could you come up here for a second? Astrid, come here. Come here. Uh-huh. All right, Astrid, I need you to get these folks ready, like you're ready. So maybe you have a, a brief like Bible verse that you want to to give them. It just have to be one verse, or you could even, if you can't think of a verse, just like something about God, like. You can't steal mine. Like, God is neat. But maybe something a little more specific than that. And then, if you could introduce um, me in case we don't all know each other yet in a way that gets them really excited, that would be great. So, I'll sit down there and wait for you and then, like, be energetic and I'll bound up. Like, thank you. All right, guys. So, there's a really great verse that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. So, are you guys rejoicing? Um, know him come up here and um, give us the word of God so get ready for this oh man Astrid is the best opener the best best hype man best hype woman I've ever had in chapel because it's the first time we've ever had a hype man or hype woman in chapel I appreciate that Astrid for you having my back Did you guys know that um, Jesus had a hype man? Jesus had an opener. It's true, it's something that people do. A lot of people have stolen the idea from Jesus since then. Pretty much every time you go to a concert, you know, you go to see a certain band there's another band or another person that plays before them. If you go to see like one of your favorite local bands, uh, then they might have some, you know, middle school kids, high school kids, someone who's not a professional come play before them to get you ready to partake of the experience. As you go up the band Pantheon, sometimes you'll have very well-established bands that have people that could headline huge shows on their own opening for them. For instance, like the the kings of this are the band U2. Um, back in the day when I went to U2 concert, they were touring all over the world and, um, they had like Gwen Stefani open them for a while. They have black eyed peas open for them. The concert that I went to in Omaha, Nebraska, um, Kanye West, like the old Kanye West that we really missed that Kanye, he opened, um, for them. They're getting ready to do a show in Kansas city in a few weeks. There's a dude named Beck that is opening for them. Like you gotta be a pretty big deal to have someone open for you who could have their own show. Now, that being said, the record for dopest opening slates was recently set this month, and it was set by uh, not actually a musician, but by a comedian. This comedian's name is is Dave Chappelle, and he, hey! (laughs) Uh, Dave decided to do a residency at Radio City Music Hall, which is like one of the most prestigious venues in America, in New York City. Here are the people that he had open for him as he did numerous shows on numerous nights in Radio City Music Hall. On August 1st, he had the roots open for him, and they were featuring uh special guests Lil Wayne. The next night, it was the roots with special guests Ice Cube, Common and Vince Staples. The next night, he had the roots open for him with special guests Big Boy and Ursher. The next day it was it was just The regular roots, I guess the day the next two days. Oh, no, sorry. The day after that, uh, he had open for him. Chris Rock with special guest Jeff Ross. The day after that, it was special guest Chris Rock featuring Arsenio Hall. On the 9th of August, he had Erica Badu open for him. On the 12th of August, he had pretty much all the best people from SNL. Leslie Jones, Michael Shea and Colin Jost open for him. Um, On the 17th, he had Chano, chance, the rapper featuring Hannibal. Burris on the 18th. He had Trevor Noah open for him. The next night, Childish Gambino opened for him. The night after that, Lauren Hill opened for him. A couple nights later, Solange opened for him. Then Yasin Bey, Most Deaf, featuring Talib Kwali and Chris Tucker, opened for him on the 24th. And he finished with a show that featured Ali Wong. And very special guest John Mayer with a DJ set. I like, dude didn't even get to talk. He doesn't say that many words. Just pretty much what and okay. Little John got to open for him doing a DJ set, and so it was insane, right? That's like an insane list of people who would open just for one guy. So then that begs for us the question: Who would open for Jesus? Who would be Jesus' hype man? And what would that person look like? What would they be like? Book of Mark tells us a little bit about what that person would be like. The person's name was John the Baptist. It could get a little bit confusing if you haven't read your Bible a ton before because there's some other people like that name John shows up a lot in the Bible, just like it shows up a lot um, in in our society, right? There's John the Baptist who is one distinct person Person that is the opener for Jesus. And then you have um, other Johns in the Bible, including uh, the John who was the beloved disciple of, of Jesus. And then you have some other people. But this John is not Jesus, one of his 12 disciples. There's a different dude and this guy, John the Baptist is talked about in Mark one. And there are three things that I want us to see about John the Baptist and then consider as a representation, because as you're going to see, we're not going to want to be exactly like this dude. But what are some things that we can look at when we talk about John the Baptist being an opener, a hype man, a representative for Jesus to prepare people to encounter him? What does it look like for us? to be people who prepare others to encounter Jesus. Mark one one says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it was written in Isaiah, the prophet behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. The first thing that I noticed about John the Baptist was he is someone that the Bible had talked about before he even showed up on the scene. Last year, we actually went through this passage in the book of Isaiah because we were going through the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah was a, a prophet in the book of Isaiah at a time where the Jewish people were under uh, an empire, the Babylonian empire that was mistreating them, had spread them um, kind of all over the, the, the region. And so the people were We're going through a very tough time and there were parts of Isaiah's prophecy where he had to tell the Jewish people like, look, man, things are really bad and this is why they're bad. These are the reasons in which you have misbehaved or you have transgressed the covenant of God and this is why you're in the situation that you're in. There were some times though where Isaiah was sowing seeds of hope for a people who were desperate. To have some good news and to hear some good news um and and one of the things that that he was telling them that isaiah was telling them was look a savior is going to come someone is going to come to save you and before this savior comes someone else will come and, and prepare the way it'll be like a a new kind of prophet a newfound prophet it'll be a sign for you that your salvation is near when you see this person that is then explained here as Mark quotes the book of Isaiah, there's going to be a person they're going to be in front of you. They're going to prepare the way they're going to kind of get you on the right track. They're going to get you pointed in the right direction. So that you're ready to receive your salvation. You're ready to, to receive your blessing and he's going to be crying out, but not from, from the centers of power, this person is going to be crying out from the periphery, from, from, from the wilderness, and he's going to be telling you, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight so that there's not resistance to the work that he is coming to do. This is not what you would expect necessarily if you were waiting for a political savior, right? If you were waiting for a political savior, you would be trying to cultivate somebody in the halls of power who could overtake or overthrow. You would be trying to, to, to build up a military leader, and, and for whatever it means, and the people didn't even really understand fully, theologically, what this meant, but this person was going to be an outsider. They're going to come from the outside. It's just interesting that hundreds of years before John the Baptist would even be born and set foot on the earth, here is, is God, through a prophet, telling the people what to look for, the, the, the characteristics, the character traits, even the location, saying, this person is going to, to, to be brought forth to you. Mark goes on to explain John the Baptist like this, and this is where it gets to be one of those situations where you're like, I don't know if I want to be like this guy. Verse four, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts with wild honey. Instagram that and try to get people to get likes, right? Like, hey, look what I made for dinner. Locusts with wild honey. Like nobody's going to like that. Nobody wants to eat. Nobody wants to eat bugs. Nobody does. Uh, John is uh, let's just call him peculiar fellow. John the Baptist peculiar fellow. Although I think a a good way to classify him to help us to to understand this notion of what we should be like is um, maybe a man of distinction, maybe a man of distinction. There were some outward signs that John the Baptist was a little bit different. He did not wear the same clothes that everybody else wore camel hair. Like that was not a real in style in the catalogs of the time. He was pretty much the only cat doing that kind of thing. And there was a simplicity to what he was wearing. And at the same time, there was something a little bit exotic about it. So here he is, and he has this, this, this camel hair, hair coat cloak, and he's got this, the, the, this, this waist belt. And he is eating in ways, uh, just finding whatever it is that he can find around him. There's not a lot of preparation that it takes to eat locusts and honey. What that tells us is that he was just like taking whatever provision God had for him out there in the wilderness. He sees something. He says, oh, this looks like protein. This doesn't look like it'll taste very good. Dips it in something he can find accessibly to him, honey, sweetens it up and just bam, straight down the gullet. And so anybody who came in contact with with John the Baptist would immediately say, um, this this particular individual seems to be functioning on a bit of a different wavelength than the rest of us. And what we tend to do when we find those folks, especially when they're already on the the, the periphery, is we tend to go out of our way to avoid them, don't we? we see people who are acting a little bit different, who look (laughs) a little bit different than we do that we make a a wide berth around them. However, this says that the very opposite was happening that people were actually flocking out to see this man in the wilderness and not to like, just make fun of him, not to chuckle under their breath or, or, or figure out like what funny name they could call him. No, they're coming out to listen to him, Because his style had a distinctiveness to it, but his message was also very distinct and very refreshing from anything that the people were being fed at that time. Because what he's proclaiming to them, what he's preaching to them, is this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And and I don't think that his theology was quite as fleshed out as Jesus' theology would become, as, as later the disciples theology will become that we have in the later new Testament. But what we do know is, is at this time there were a lot of people who were being kind of pushed through this spiritual religious rigmarole where they were having to not only jump through hoops to prove themselves and to gain acceptance into the broader society, which in Jewish culture was dominated by the religious authorities. But in a lot of ways they were being taken advantage of, while they were doing that. And so you had these people who were in power and, and, and they um, uh, kind of got their kicks out of being able to control and to manipulate other people. And even though they had a lot of sin in their lives, and even though they weren't perfect, they were trying to get other people to strive for perfection and being real judgy to other people if they couldn't be perfect. And, and the way to, to deal with that in that old system was to bring... Various sacrifices to the temple, but those weren't being done. Those weren't being brought forth in a way that was meant to bring glory to God. Those were being brought forth in a way that was meant to, to line the pockets of the religious authorities at the time. And so here comes John and he's saying something really refreshing. He's baptizing people out here in the wilderness and in the river. And he's saying, look, you don't have to worry about that particular structure because, because someone is coming who has a different structure. What you really need to do now to prepare your hearts, to hear this person and to receive them is, is to repent, to look at your life and to say, yeah, this, these are places where I'm sinning against God and against other people. These are ways that I need to change. These are things that that God wants me to do differently. And in doing that, he was offering them a freedom that they had not experienced before, because instead of having to leave the transaction, feeling ashamed and like somebody got over on you. Well, he was saying after they left, their interaction was your sins are forgiven. And so you have this man who some might call peculiar because of how he looked and what he ate and what he said. I think he tends to be a person who is a person of distinction because while the, the, those, those physical things, those outward things are the things that we focus on and could be distracted by. He had a message that was deep. He had a message that was valuable, that was refreshing and that was good. John's message would go on to say this in verse seven. And he preached saying after me, comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy spirit and think about what happens to people when they tend to have attractional personalities. When you start to gather a crowd around you, when people start to, to, to respond positively to us, what tends to happen is we don't tend to get more humble in those situations. We tend to get quite a bit more full of ourselves in those situations. And we see this like we live in the midst of celebrity culture. There are entire channels on our television. There are entire websites dedicated uh, to, to going around and like jumping out from behind bushes to, to figure out what it is that celebrities are eating. Right. Like we fill arenas to cheer people on. We pay them hundreds of thousands, sometimes up to tens of millions of dollars to do things to entertain us. And our general philosophy is the more people that you can gather around you, the more valuable you are. And it's almost impossible for us. It is almost impossible for us as humans to to put that thought aside and to not adopt that into our countenance, how we hold ourselves and how we interact with other people. But John the Baptist was able to do that. And so you have this guy and and he's preaching and people are attracted or at least interested to the message that he is preaching. But instead of of getting flashier, right? And instead of talking about himself and instead of gathering followers for himself, he is actually doing the job that was prophesied of him hundreds of years before. And that is to prepare the way for somebody else to come who is even greater than him. And he makes no bones about this. Like there is, is nothing grosser than feet. Like feet are just nasty, They've got bunions, right? And, 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 and we wear socks to kind of like help protect our feet and, and to help people not have to look at our feet. But, but back in John the Baptist day, there were no socks. And so you're just walking around the desert and, and your feet are just sweating. They're oozing and they're getting dust on them. And, and you know, maybe like, like you're walking and you're talking to somebody by their camel and, and, and the camel just like tinkles on your foot or whatever. Like it gets, it gets real nasty, real raunchy, to, to the point where on a regular basis, you had to wash your own feet or have someone else wash your, your feet because feet were just that unsavory. And 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 here's John using the, this this notion of look, the servants would be the ones who would come and, and touch someone else's feet, right? Servants would come and touch someone else's feet, and here someone else is coming. And he doesn't say, I'm too good to untie the strap of the sandals of the person's feet who is coming after me. He says, I'm not even worthy of doing the grossest, ickiest gaggiest form of servitude that is known to humanity at that time. He very much makes it clear that his orientation is that of a humble. And in fact of the lowliest servant, And he even says something very profound here. Like, I don't know how he knew this because no one else really came to understand this until it feels like after Jesus had already ascended into heaven and we get to the book of Acts, but he says, look, I'm out here and I'm baptizing you with water. This is something that that, that's here and it's been here for a long time. And it's a sign of something. It's a sign of your forgiveness, your rebirth, the fact that you have been cleansed, but the person who is coming after me is going to baptize you with the the Holy Spirit. And that's not something that you have access to right now, or even on your own. This is going to be something that's totally new and that's totally powerful. And I don't know that he necessarily understood Trinitarian theology, but he knew that something was coming and that Jesus had this access to God that John the Baptist himself didn't even have. And so he was a great man of humility who is at every point and really against all odds, pointing people back to Jesus, the amazing person that Jesus would be and the amazing things that Jesus was going to do. And so this presents us an opportunity to think about what would a John the Baptist look like now in the year 2017? And the first thing like that we talked about is, is you know, were we really talked about? Have we been Thought about by by God and, and put forward and, and spoken about in the Bible, and you know what? Not with the, probably the specificity. Well, definitely not with the specificity that John the Baptist was talked about, but us as a worshiping people, as people who followed Jesus, we were talked about in Scripture. In Scripture, Jesus talks to Peter and, and says, "You are the rock on which I am going to build my church." And so if we are, are the people who claim to be followers of Christ, then this, the, this, this group, this identity that we have, that is something that God has been talking about for a long time. In fact, the Old Testament pages are filled with descriptors of what we should look like. And some of those descriptors are what we should look like as individuals who follow Christ, who say, yes, Jesus is my savior. And some of those other descriptors are what we should look like as a group of people, as a church, as a gathering, as a collection of believers. And if we're honest, there are times at which we are better at living up to the things that have been put on us and the ways in which we are described in our ideal than we have been at other times. There are times when, when people have been able to, to look at us and be like, yeah, you don't really look like you follow Jesus. You don't look like a group of, of, of people, the group of people that are described in these early church manuscripts or that Jesus himself even talked about. And so the first thing that we have to consider if we are going to hold up John the Baptist as, as someone who is valuable and, and to be emulated, like are we paying attention to the things that the Bible says about who we should be? And are we actively trying to stay in that lane to fulfill those, I won't, they're not necessarily prophecies, but to fulfill those ideals. And you might be like, I don't know, I don't read my Bible. Well, there's a challenge for you. Like, like let's read our Bibles. And when we do, like, let's highlight those words that are descriptive about what Jesus wants us to be, how Jesus wants us to interact with each other and with the world around us. Secondly, are we people who are distinct? And I don't. Uh, well, I wasn't gonna say I don't necessarily know that we need to be people who are out there. Uh, we might need to do that. What we definitely need to do is to be people who are countercultural. Because throughout history, what we have seen is that the church and the people who follow Jesus Christ are always supposed to go against culture, especially when culture is the driving force of power and manipulating people. And the American church is one of the first churches that for a long period of time, um, were the ones who were driving the offices of power. Now, that's starting to change a little bit because generationally, uh, there are a lot fewer people who are going to church. People are willing to be spiritual. They're not necessarily willing to be religious. And in fact, Christians have burned a lot of bridges, especially in recent time, and people are wondering if being involved in this community is even something that's of value. And so while that is not a great thing, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily a positive. It does provide us maybe an opportunity instead of saying let's make the culture mold to us of saying let's really decide what's important and who wants Jesus Jesus wants us to be and let's be brave enough to be countercultural let's be brave enough to stand up for what is right instead of what is popular let us be brave enough to stand up for what is ethical instead of what is simply beneficial to us Let's be forward thinking enough to not just assume that everything that society does, because it's a quote unquote Christian society is right, but let's critically evaluate what we're doing, how that fits into culture and to say, Hey, what is it? The the ultimate question we should be asking is not how can we make the church more powerful, but how can we glorify God more effectively? And I think in doing that, there may be some outside of the box things, that God calls us to do. And it may or may not be the things that we wear, the things that we eat, it could be, but it could also be what kind of neighborhoods is God calling us to live in? What kind of society is God calling us to be? Who is God calling us to invite, to sit down, and to share our table with? What ways is God calling us to push each other to be not just better, but more Christ-like? And thirdly, then um, we have to ask ourselves the question, if we're going to kind of hold up John the Baptist as someone who is to be emulated, what does it look like if we (laughs) never, ever, ever forget to put Jesus first? What does it look like if we never, ever, ever forget to put Jesus first? Because there are a lot of opportunities that we have to put ourselves first. And I think when we are doing things that do attract people, When we do things that sound good, when we do things that people find refreshing, when we become successful or popular, whatever word you want to use to talk about that box where people think well of us. It's very easy for us to slip and and instead of saying God is good, to just say, oh, I am good. And to forget how we got to where we got to. And to forget the things that God is doing around us. And to instead of um, thinking about What's it going to take to keep this thing going and to keep pointing people toward Jesus to say, how do I maintain instead what I already have? And these three questions, these are the things that the college students really have to wrestle with because you have space to wrestle with them. Now it becomes much more difficult to wrestle with them. Once you're outside of this space, once you're a little more on your own, once it becomes a little bit more of an option, how often, how frequently and how in depth you are going to have these conversations. And so in our imaginations, in your imagination, about what you wanna achieve someday, what you wanna be someday, first, I hope that you say, I wanna be like whatever Jesus has for me. And those are conversations that we're gonna have throughout the book of Mark. But I think that for this time, before we really get into all the jesus stuff over the next couple of weeks, it's important for us to look at John the Baptist and to say, if my life is gonna be prophetic, if I'm going to live up to the ideals that God had for me, if I'm gonna to contribute to a church that is powerful and points people toward Jesus and is a refreshing voice for people, if I'm going to be countercultural, not just so people can look at me and say you're different, but say God is good, and if I can do all of that at the same time keep pointing to Jesus, then what is God calling me to do in the meantime to prepare me, to prepare me for that lifetime of ministry? As we consider that, um, we're gonna worship some more, which is something that John the Baptist was facilitating. He was facilitating uh, a type of worship, an environment of worship that, you know what, the people honestly weren't having, even the people who had been involved in the so, so-called church, of the time. And I know that um, this space and the things that we do might be weird for some of us as we come together, right? Because we're still getting to know each other. And some of us went to churches that look very different from what we do here, the things that we may try to do here as the semester goes on. Um, Some of us who have not really been involved in church might come and be like, man, I don't know, like if um, the, the things that we do and the things that God is trying to tell me, I just don't know how to deal with that. It just makes me uncomfortable. It makes me a little bit nervous, a little bit panicky. For some of us, you might just be like, I'm not used to hearing from God. I'm not feeling it right now. And so it makes me feel a little bit bored. My, my encouragement for you is, is this. In these times and these spaces that we have, even if they feel foreign to you, let's dedicate ourselves to just moments and minutes of trying to be present with God trying to be honest with God. And that means you just have like questions about the text. Bring those to God in prayer. Pull somebody aside that you know is in in the word a little bit more and just ask them questions about that stuff. If there's something that you feel like you just need to tell somebody or or run an idea past them, like like, do that. And if you just need to, to sit before God and just sit and listen and take it all in, do that. But let's be good listeners of the things that God has to say so that we can be obedient to the word.